Welcome to the Brew News Podcast, all the news that's fit to be brewed. I'm Andrew Jennings, and this week we are picking up where we left off last week with the history of sour beers. So grab yourself a favorite tart ale, a goza, your lambic, goose, and snuggle up for this final part of the history of sour beers. So Andrew, what flavors did you expect out of wild ales? So we're going to use the BJCP guidelines here, and I took snippets of from Of course. Each. Why else would why, why would we use anything else? Uh, because I'm not about to write out the a descriptor of each one of these without <laughs> the Andrew guidelines of what these sours should be. It should be free. You know. um, so the Berliner Weiss should have a clean lactic sourness, some bready or grainy wheat flavor, no hot flavors, restrained citrusy lemony or tart apple fruitness. Yeah, and a lot of... But I feel like a lot of Berliner Weisses in America now are like heavily fruited. They are. So like a true Berliner Weiss should be um, very... And Berliner Weiss and Goza are interesting because... Um, and I'll go ahead and do Goza real quick because it actually fits really well. It was actually just in a completely different category. Um, but it's moderate to restrain, but noticeable sourness, like a squeeze of lemon and iced tea. Moderate bready doughy malt flavor, light to moderate fruity uh, character of palm fruit, stone fruit, or lemons, uh, light to moderate salt character. So that's the one defining characteristic between a Goza and a Berliner Weiss yeah. is salt. You should get salt out of a Goza. Um, yeah. Uh, the salt should be noticeable, but not overly salty. So you shouldn't be drinking the ocean. You should just have a touch of salt with that sa- that sweet sour. Yeah, and there there are some breweries that do gozas that are like way too salty. But I mean, Ocho Vase is really good, but it's way it's almost too limey. I get almost no salt on that. Yeah, well, and Ocho Vase has changed because it's agave too. Yeah, it used to. Be. Um, but then. That was going to be one of the two examples that I used, and the other one being Westbrook's Goza. Mm-hmm. Their base Goza is very good. Like there's that hint of salinity. The salt is there to balance out the sour to kind of make everything just blend together. And Westbrook's it base works goza. shockingly well. <laughs> yeah, and it, it, well, yeah, it's like anything else. It's a balance of flavors, like mm-hmm. salty, sweet, salt, sweet and sour, salt and sour, salt and sweet everything balances out and gives you like this balanced feel of a beer. Um, then we move to Flanders reds. These have intense fruitiness, including plums, orange, black cherry, or red currant with mild vanilla and chocolate character. So Flanders reds, who, um, Alexander Rodenbach. Rodenbach and uh, yeah, Rodenbach is considered one of the best for both the Flanders Red and the Wood Brune um, for those mm-hmm. styles. Like Rodenbach is just that's just a solid one. Just go get Rodenbach if you're curious about these styles. You're probably yeah, because I, not honestly, gonna... I can't think of another Flanders Red off the top of my head. I can't either, but if I see one at a brewery, I absolutely get it. Or if I see one on a drive, oh god, yeah, I would get that hands down. If I saw a Flanders, if I saw an Oud Brune at any brewery, I would get it. But I have never seen an Oud Brune at a brewery I have. that we've been to. Well, that's because <laughs> <laughs> I, I went to Belgium. <laughs> My name's Andrew, and I don't have children, so I travel whenever I want. Details. Um, <laughs> um, so, talk about the Oud Brune. So, this is an old brown ale. Um, I, I had I this is I'm old brown oh, I'm old brown oh. old brown <laughs> um, but this is oh side note um, yeah. can I interrupt you for just one second yeah. um, no fact because our man Noel on Great British Baking Show with old Greg that made me think of that Sandy his co-host has already been replaced by whom 
she quit the show. I knew that. Because she has become the dean of a college. What? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Have you not read her bio? No. She started her own political party. Oh, cool. Like years and years ago. But she, yeah, she's like the head of, she's the dean of a college now. That's awesome. Um, she's been replaced. So did you ever see Bridesmaids? Yes. Remember Rebel Wilson was, um, what's her face's roommate? The, like the, the British guy. roommate that was like, I got a tattoo. Oh, he said yeah. It was faux free. Her brother, the bald guy with the glasses. Yeah, yeah, yeah. He's the new host of Great British. Oh, Show I think I heard that. His name's Matt something. He was in Doctor Yeah, he's, he's like a very famous British comedian, apparently. Yeah. But I had, when I clicked on his name, because I was like, I don't know that name. And I saw him, I was like, you've got to be kidding me. That's going to be yeah, he, He's replaced Sandy. So he and Noel will be the new host of the next season of Great British Baking Show. Fascinating. Poor Prue, all alone. Poor, poor Prue. <laughs> yeah. Okay. Well, let's talk about the Oud Brune. So this is, I, I pulled this and I didn't even pull the whole descriptor out of this because I want to give a, a, a feel for how broad the, this flavor can be on these sour beers. And this is just one example. Malty with fruity complexity and typically some caramel character. Medium to medium high fruitiness commonly includes dark or dried fruit such as raisins, plums, figs, dates, black cherries, or prunes. Okay, so those keeping track at home. Caramel, one. Raisins, plums, figs, dates, black cherries, or prunes. Seven different flavors so far. So far. So far. Medium low to medium high malt character of caramel. We've seen that one. Toffee. Eight, orange, nine, treacle, 10, chocolate, 11. Spicy phenols can be present in low amounts of complexity, so we'll just count that as 12. A slight sourness often becomes more pronounced in well-aged examples, along with some sherry-like character, 13, producing a sweet and sour profile. This one style has 13 different flavor notes you can hit. (laughs) That one style has so many descriptors that you can basically just be about whatever you want. So what that is saying to me in a nutshell to like condense that down into something is that this should be, it should have dark fruit notes. Mm -hmm. So your plums, your figs, your dates, black cherries, figgy newt, like fig newton, raisiny plum. So almost like a British beer in that sense um, that you have a lot of like raisin and fig notes maltiness with toffee and orange and then spicy so when you say spicy phenols to me that makes me think of like bigger this is almost like the belgian sour version of a british winter warmer yes or a spice ale except it takes three years to make yeah, exactly. <laughs> it's exactly it's like that. <laughs> but like all of those descriptors to me are things that we would have found like when we did the Sam Smith winter warmer mm-hmm. or like the Christmas ale. Like this is a spicy, warming, dark fruit, malty beer that should invoke, you know, sweet and sour. So the sweet with all those fruits and the orange and the toffee and the chocolate with the sour base you know fermentation beer so that's kind of what i'm leaning towards like it's like a sour version of a winter warmer yeah it doesn't taste anything like that but yeah that that in terms of like the variety of flavors at least to me it tastes not because it has a nice sourness to it yeah <clears throat> and then we move into lambics we have which three um, flavors of lambic yeah 
Lambics um, are described as having fruity flavors, which are simpler in young Lambics and more complex in older Lambics, where they are reminiscent of apples and other light fruits, including rhubarb or honey. Some citrus flavors, often grapefruit, are occasionally noticeable or desirable. And now goose, which is a category I entered a beer into on one word alone. Uh, it's a it's a type of Sour. lambic. Oh, uh, no, no. <laughs> you, you've seen the word. Uh, moderately sour Barnyard. character. Yep. <laughs> moderately sour character in, is classically in balance with the malt, wheat, and barnyard characteristics. A low mm-hmm. complementary sweetness may be present, but higher levels are not traditional. A varied fruit flavor is common and can have a honey-like character. A mild vanilla and or oak flavor is occasionally noticeable. Yeah. So goose that brings it off of the lambic in that vanilla and oak are noticeable. Honey is not something that you see in lambic. Um, and then the barnyard quality. Yeah. It's um, lambics. Lambics, uh, I guess, then are considered maybe a little cleaner. Yes. Um, so then you move into fruited lambics. So the specified fruit should be evident. So if you say it's a raspberry lambic or a cherry lambic, you should get raspberry or cherry. You should get those. Um, this is low to moderately sour flavor, often with an acidic bite in the finish. The classic barnyard characteristics may be high to low. When young, the beer will present its full fruity taste. So that's a way to say the older the beer gets, the more the fruit falls off and you're left with the barnyard sour lambic base. So that's kind of what we talked about in the aging beers. Like as you age, flavors tend to fall off. There's a peak for these things. You drink it fresher, it's going to be hotter, more fruit, maybe a little more sour, tart. As it gets older, everything the fruit falls maybe off. falls off a little bit, and but so does the sourness. All right. And our last three are specialty styles uh, from the BJCP. They're Brett Beer, Mixed Fermentation, and Wild Specialty. They all are basically the same uh, information. Uh, they're all variable by base style. So this is, this is for BJCP pers- purposes. I can make a stout and add Brett to it, and I could enter it in as a Brett beer. Um, so it should be Brett character, may range from minimal to aggressive, can be quite fruity or have a smoky, earthy, or barnyard character, should not be unpleasantly funky, such as a Band-Aid, fetid, mm. nail polish remover, cheese, etc. I, I have, I've never had a – actually, no, I have had a beer that tastes like a Band-Aid. That was yeah, nasty. Yeah, it's that, it's that plastic-y yeah, Band-Aid. Yeah, it's bad. It's bad. Yeah, that's not a, that's not a pleasant note in any – amount Um, then you have mixed fermentation sour which looks for an agreeable balance between the base beer and the fermentation character a range of results is possible from fairly high acidity slash funk to a subtle pleasant harmonious beer the best examples are pleasurable to drink with the esters and phenols complementing the malt and or hops and finally, you have wild specialty beer. They should show the fruit, sour, and or funk of wild fermentation, as well as the characteristics of the special ingredients used. Any fruit sweetness is generally gone, so only the esters typically remain from the fruit. All right, so that brings us to... Beer break! All right. Beer it's, break! It's been a minute, and we have gone thirsty here. We were waxing poetic. But before we get into how do you make or what are the various styles of uh, wild beer making, um, we're going to get into some of the techniques here in a minute. How do you get how do you get them crazy bacterias all up in your beers? Um, well, Andrew, you pretty much just open wide and let the sourness take you. Um, that is incorrect. <laughs> that is wildly incorrect. 
You should absolutely not do that. That is a great way to die. Did you hear about that? Those folks that died in South Africa? First time they tried yeah, you home. You sent me that article. And I was flabbergasted. I have not killed Literally. someone yet. I am doing better than they are. <laughs> yeah. After drinking one beer. <laughs> I am not a murderer so, yet. <laughs> our last beer um, will be another in the Day Patrol series from Forgotten Road Ales. This is the Day Patrol Cherry. So this is their, what we're assuming is their base sour, kettle sour ale with cherries. This is 7.1% ABV, no available IBUs. This one actually only has 42 check-ins on untapped. So this is also fairly low. Um, Andrew? So it has more alcohol than the other two, which makes me think it actually might be a different base. Yeah. So this is um, the other two sours we had from Forgotten Rodales in the Day Patrol series were 5.9%. This is 7.1%. So it could be a different base altogether. Um, it's like a cherry juice. Yeah. Like a reddish brown yeah. or well, brownish um, red. It looks a lot like a Oud Brun, a little yeah, redder, a, a little pinker than a, a Oud It's Brun. not a, the same reddish brown would be incorrect. It's more of a brownish red or a pinkish. I don't want to say pinkish brown. Yeah. Um, zero head retention. I mean, it falls off immediately as to be expected. This one was like cherries. As to be expected. You know, honestly, it's a little buttery. Um, that has a hint of butter, which let me pull up my brewer's off flavor notes. Uh, butter is... Is diacetyl, butter... Isn't it? Yeah, is diacetyl. I was trying to, I always get diacetyl and acetaldehyde, but acetaldehyde is apple. It might be a little diacetyl, but I don't know, or acet, diacetyl, but I don't know that that's incorrect in. It shouldn't be because that just means you didn't have uh, a rest. Uh, you didn't have time for the, the yeast to clean it, clean up its own mess. Essentially, diacetyl is yeast, is like, Normal yeast poop that we enjoy is CO2 and, well, we don't enjoy it, but we enjoy it carbonating our beer. But essentially, yeast poop is typically alcohol and um, CO2. We like alcohol. CO2 is fine. It ain't going to hurt the beer. But they also off-gas diacetyl. So, well, they create diacetyl in the process. So you have a diacetyl rest when the yeast aren't super active, and they'll actually clean that up. So that probably means they didn't do, they didn't let it sit long enough, which when you're trying new styles constantly or doing new things which they are, you may miss your rest just by a day or two. And that yeah. will create some of that. You get that a lot in homebrewers that try and can or bottle or keg really quickly. If you don't give it a, at least a week to clean up its own mess, let the yeast clean up their shit, like it's, it can be really butter popcorn. And if that's what yeah, you're going so for, that, great. That is what I'm getting a tiny bit is butter popcorn. It's also more like buttery pie crust a little bit. Now, buttery pie crust could also just come from the yeast structure, from the malt structure, not the and the yeast as well. Yeah. But. So that is, that's very cherry. I do get that pie though in the flavor, so I get more of like a cherry pie, like a, a nice dark mm -hmm. cherry pie. Um, so that probably yeah. has more to do with the malt structure than anything else. Yeah, and that um, actually turns the cherry flavor fades away into that pie. And it also reminds me it's fairly reminiscent of like cherry cobbler. Right. Definitely. Um, 
I mean, I'm not hating that. No, but it's my least favorite, but it's still good. All right. So that talks brings us to how do we make wild beer? It's super accessible. It's one of the easiest styles to get into by anyone. Travis, we can make wild beer. No, it's a terrible idea. Unless you have professional facility, this is a really difficult thing to do. Um, Yeah. So almost Uh, all of... I'm just imagining us having like a wood barrel in your backyard that's just like full of beer and be like, it's it's still bubbling. (laughs) Yeah. So um, there's about five different styles. The more traditional wild beer... Are, are all done on wood age. They're wood aged in some way, shape, or form. A fooder, if and, you will. Right. They're aged in wooden barrels called fooders. Uh, that's F-O-E-D-E-R. And so, this includes spontaneous fermentation. Mm-hmm. So this is the most expensive and least predictable method of wild beer making. It is also the method most lambic brewers in Belgium use. Um, as well as Allagash and Russian River in the U.S., which employ this brewing technique. So I think Andrew said it in a recent episode, Allagash Brewing is probably the closest to a true Belgian brewery that we have in the U.S. In the U.S., yep. Because they have, And Russian River also has a cool ship. Yes, um, and so does the Vale in ah, Richmond. So the, this is, the spontaneous fermentation is your cool ship brewing. A cool ship ultimately is a giant bathtub and yep. they, they let the wild yeast breeze their way in. And this is what we were talking about at the top where you have a barn effectively, the heat, the steam releases the yeasties and the bacteria down into it. So you have a little bit of consistency batch to batch. Uh, you have the same yeah. infectation infections from batch to batch. And the veil, I've seen them post, like they have this huge metal pipe that goes into like this huge stainless steel like vat. Mm-hmm. that sits on a like a floor all by itself and they just like pump it in and there's this such like it looks like it's inches thick like this head of like foamy nasty gunky mess that's like sitting on top of this beer when they do it but they're like you know putting a beer in the cool ship and this you know like their sour they have their wild fermented ales that they do i think wasn't the blueberry one that we had the eclipse wasn't that a wild fermentation? i think so yeah yeah um but i mean that's such a cool concept to me but it also seems extremely dangerous oh it's it's that's why it's so expensive because not only is expensive to build but you have to make sure that you're not like introducing something that's going to give you not just as like a you know acetate or something like it's going to give you something toxic. You got to make sure you be very careful with. It's not that. going to give you the Rona, right? Um. So that brings <laughs> us to spontaneous via media. So uh, this is done by adding non-sterile items post boil. So fake news. It's true. Uh, so Andrews we, Andrews uh, spontaneous brewing via the media. That's fake news. It's it's not. It's it's real brews. <laughs> real brew news. Um. <laughs> So this brings us to our example of a wonderful Italian brewery, Lover Beer in Northern Italy. They actually- Lover Beer? Lover Beer. That's the name. Amore Beer. Amore Beer. Amore Beer. (laughs) When the moon hits your eye like a big pizza pie, that's Amore. That's Amore. But what they do is they're actually situated in Northern Italy where there's a lot of grapes, grape growing. So they actually pick the grapes and just throw the grapes in in the cold wart and that acts as their yeast. So it's spontaneous via media, but they're just getting the yeasties and the bacteria that are on the, on the outside of the grape skins. 
Um, huh. this, this is actually an old winemaking technique. They used to not pitch yeast into wine. You would just mash it, leave it at the skins, and the skins would have the bacteria that you would need and the, the uh, yeast that you would need to create wine, fermented wine. Well, that makes sense because you also have to leave the skins on to make red wine. Well, that's contact time, but that's beside the point. But like, they would just leave yeah. the, the the skins in there, and that there's all your yeast right there. You don't have to pitch a dang thing. You don't have to worry about it. That's really interesting, and also like odd how like the fact that people discovered sour beers is wild. <laughs> like, not making a pun here about wild beer, but like that is crazy. Like, um, so instead of pitching the yeast, you use the items outside that have the desired bacteria. So, like Andrew said, you just have a bunch of grapes that you've been growing. Well, this has the bacteria and the yeast from the field that we've been growing it in. So just throw it in and see what happens. Yeah, go for it. Um, yeah, from there we move into a wild ale called Solera, which I have never really heard of. Um, but you have definitely method, had beers using this style. This method progressively ages the beers. So you place the wort into barrels and move a portion from a fresh barrel to an older aged barrel, which I'm presuming has pre-existing bacteria in it. So it's not an empty barrel. You're actually taking a section of the beer and adding it to an older, an older beer, an older beer. So you're, you're actually reactivating yeast and bacteria from that older beer. So this is sort of that blending aspect, but effectively you have a, a line of beers of barrels, let's say five years. So the, the five year beer, I'll take a half off, bottle it, sell it. I'll take half from the four year, move it to the five year, take half from the three year, move it to the four, et cetera, and then refill the, the one year. So new Belgium uses this technique to blend their Felix and Oscar beers, which we had the, wasn't it the Oscar on our first year anniversary episode. We did. I love the Oscar. One of my favorites. <clears throat> um, yes. And then, from there, we move into barrel inoculation. This is more of like so, what you were talking about before, where you're just putting it into barrels that have already been used. Yeah, so you have barrels that are nurtured with the desired bacterial strains. So you're keeping barrels that have been used that have bacteria that you know. So I'm assuming this means that these brewers are taking bacterial cultures at this point, like, you know, scraping oh, absolutely. cultures yeah. off of these barrels, testing to see what's in it. And then the wart is inoculated by being added to these maintained ecosystems. So you have a barrel that is within itself. Think of it as like its own little ecosystem. It has its own bacteria, its own stuff going on. So you put the beer in it and it is then inoculated with whatever is living inside of that barrel. Yep. And then finally, pitch wild yeast. It's just like it sounds. It's just like I do uh, for home brewing. I am taking the yeast from a cultured bacteria um, or taking bacteria from a culture uh, or ordering it from White Labs or pick a, a Y yeast or whoever's selling it. And I just add it into the wort like I would anything else. Um, this is actually something you have to do for a lacto generally because we're going to talk about that in a second. So what we've talked about at this point are all post-boil souring techniques. So this is how you get that after you have your nice base wort, you haven't fermented it, but you've post-boiled it. And this is this is why when we say um, once you go sour, it's really hard to get off because you've created this bacterial culture in your brewery. And you absolutely want to be careful about that because then you get it into all your beers because bacteria travels really well. Would you say once you go tart, you don't go back? No, I wouldn't. I wouldn't say that. So that brings us to the, <laughs> well, since Andrew shot me down there, um, other yep. techniques to create a tart flavor pre-fermentation. 
Um, so pre-boil, mm-hmm. right? Yeah, or during all, the boil. Uh, yeah, these are all uh, pre-boil techniques. Um, and yeah. this is how you can create a beer. So uh, that's why I'm pretty sure all three of the day patrols are actually this style. One of the, one of these two techniques. Um, yeah. So the first one up, you have sour mashing. So this is after mashing out, which is raising the temperature at the end of the mash to denature the enzymes, but before separating the wort from the grain. So this is when you're, correct me if I'm wrong, in the brewing process, this is when you're boiling your mash, your grain bill, right? So you have let it, you've done your, so if you're in your kettle, and I, well, so you, you haven't been in a long time. I'm in my pot. I'm in my cooler. For me personally, I'm in my cooler. I have got my grain on my water. It's made my, I've made my oatmeal tea. Um, from here, I would normally raise the temperature and start pulling out the wort. Instead of doing that, I stop. I raise the temperature to denature the enzyme so they stop pulling out more um, sugars. And then mm-hmm. I add lacto to it once I cool it back ah. down. Um, so lactobacillus is then introduced into the wort. The mash is then kept warm around 115 to 120 degrees and anaerobic for a period of time, usually between 12 hours to three days. And this is called your sour mash. For home brewers, you can create a concentrated sour mash to add to the main mash after mashing out. And then we all do the monster mash. It's and a great god smash. <laughs> You know that that song is literally talking about a dance that happened without actually doing the dance itself. I thought you put your right arm in and then you no, that's right the hokey pokey. Oh shit! Do you, do you do duck a duck a duck a duck a duck? It is somebody talking about witnessing a dance that they themselves did not do. Oh, it's like tribute of by it was the mash. It was the monster mash. It was on and after this. Brewing commences as normal. So you do this little mashing out, introducing the bacteria, and then everything else is normal. But there's this process in the in-between of your mashing out that you have to perform to make it a sour beer. So you'd still be leaving it on the grain while you're doing this, or you make a concentrate of the sour... um, using a little bit of grain essentially for homebrewers you'd make it in a small pot and then you'd dump that in before you uh drain your um the, your wort into your kettle um then the more, more popular option is your kettle sour so this is done after you've collected your wort from your mash so you've done your mash you've done everything like normal you pull it into your um your kettle and you boil it really quick and then you chill it and, and by chill it, you want to bring it down to like that 115 or so. And then you're going to dose it with lacto. Um, this is going to sit for a few days and then you're going to boil the beer and resume your normal, your normal brewing. So you're souring the beer in the kettle proper. Um, so when we say adding lacto, this could be something as simple as adding probiotic yo- yogurt. And honestly, normally when somebody makes a kettle sour, they call it a kettle sour mm-hmm. in America. Or Goza or Berliner Weiss. Yeah, well, <laughs> so besides a Goza and a Berliner Weiss, a lot of times there is this flavor in kettle sours that I'm not a fan of. Commercial kettle sours are pretty trashy. I'm not going to lie. Yeah, and yeah. when a lot of times when I see something that says kettle sour, 
I approach it with an air of caution because I typically don't like kettle sours. Now, Berliner Weizen goes as something completely different, but a lot of times I do not care for kettle sours, but I think you are implying that all of the day patrols are kettle sours. Most likely is I am, I'm implying that. And they're very, if they are kettle sours, they're very good. And they're probably using a sour mashing technique. Um, so there's a couple, and honestly, of- I'm drinking the passion fruit, dragon fruit again. And I just, I, it's Buffalo wings. It's so good. <laughs> um, but yeah, uh, but ultimately like we, we've sort of hit on like, these styles, the sour mashing, the kettle mashing have limits um, to the various flavors you can get because they're only using lacto. They're only using one different bacteria. Uh, they create a very similar tartness. Uh, they lack some of the robust flavors. Like the only beer that we've had tonight where both you and I were like, this is freaking good. This is what I want for my sour was the pale sour from Omegong. Yeah. Because it's not, it's a mixed fermentation. It's not a kettle sour. These other three, yeah. I feel extremely confident and I'm not saying this is a knock for uh, Forgotten Road, they're very good, but they they taste like they're kettle sours, which is not a bad thing. It's just a thing. Yeah, and that's and it's the difference between American versus a true Belgian style, and a brewery that's been around for thirty years, and a brewery that's been around for eighteen months or twelve yeah, months. And so, so I'm drinking. You know, I finished the Day Patrol Cherry. I'm back on the Passion Fruit Dragon Fruit. You know, most American sours are either, to me, they're either overly fruity mm-hmm. or they're overly just pucker bombs. And another example of that would be the brewery mm-hmm. um, out of Placentia, California, which we haven't done yet because that's a very expensive episode waiting to happen. Yeah. Um, <laughs> <laughs> um, we did the, do them on our now defunct Patreon. Um because they had the um, 12 Days of Christmas series. Mm-hmm. But the brewery has the brewery Taru, which is their sour facility. And a lot of that is like really pucker sours. We've done some Russian River on that episode with LB. We had the... Um, that thing was Bieta- stupid sour. God. The beatification. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, it's... <sighs> American sours to me are... A different thing and so the joke i had um when andrew and i were texting earlier today before this i had a joke where it was like andrew you mean to tell me that americans took a style from a culture and a reappropriated it for ourselves and then claimed that we do it better even though that culture has been doing it for hundreds if not thousands of years no you know <laughs> no 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 no, 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 we, no, don't, no. We, we, we don't we don't we don't we don't we don't say that at all no. um the only- American sours to me are a very different thing. And like, if you are a person who is getting into sours, for me personally, Berliner Weisses and Gozes are that Gozes. Like, um, oh yeah, yeah. If you get a fruit, and for me, like, I don't think of Flemish beers as sour. Personally, I don't. I don't think no. of Flanders Reds, Oud Bruins. I don't think of them as sours, but they are. They're technically sours. Um, and voter beers, I don't think of them as sours, but they are. And to me, no. But like, if you if you wanted something like you know, I talked about Westbrook Goza, the base Goza earlier. <laughs> they make a key lime version. That key lime version is delicious. Sierra Nevada Ultra Base. Um, a lot of the Anderson Valley Goza series, like you know, we're gonna have to do them at some point. We're gonna have to do a lot of the Gozas. Oh, yeah, they yeah, have yeah. blood orange, the rose Goza. 
Um, when we do the Goza episode, we'll just do Anderson Valley and call it a day. Yeah, I mean, they have so many. And Anderson Valley is an example of a style. And they nail it. Mm-hmm. I mean, it's Gozas. And it's good. And they're fruited Gozas. And that is a style that is very easy. Courtney loves those beers. Courtney loves sour beers. But she loves Gozas and Berliner Weisses and things like that. Those are very easy transitions. But I feel like when you talk about true ch- traditional sours in the sense of Oud Bruins, Flanders Reds. Lambics. Lambic gooses and that kind of stuff like that appeals to a very particular set of people. And honestly, when I first got into craft beer, I would not drink those. But now I got to where I liked Belgian beers. I like Trappist ales. I like the Belgian style funk. And that led me to Belgian style sours mm-hmm. and Oud Brooms and Flanders Reds and Craig's. I think we cracked when you guys got back from the Netherlands and uh, Belgium and all that. You had the De Hoffman and mm-hmm. you had, I think in that same night, we cracked a Rodenbach. Yeah, we probably did. And I mean, those styles of beers are just something that like I love. Like if I feel like that's desert island if i had to be stranded with a type of beer belgian style beers would be that beer for the rest of my life like forget ipas forget yeah anything else um if you just belgian give me beers. a, a stock like a constant supply of various flemish beers i'd be okay because yeah. they're so complex like mm-hmm. you know you and i can sit here and say like my favorite flanders red is this we can argue all day we'll both love the other's choice because they're so complex they're so varied within I mean, that's why we read sort of the style guides just to give an idea of how complex these things can be and are allowed to be. Um, but man, we've been going for a long time talking about sours. <laughs> well, and we could go for a long, 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 long time after this. We are going okay. to have a less expensive than the brewery episode and we'll do a, a sit down with Flemish and some Lambics. But this was just, we were just trying to do a you know high level touch on all the sour beers. And I feel we really dove a lot deeper than we intended. We're like in like, yeah, we started at 30,000, we, <laughs> we started at 30,000 feet and ended at like 500 cruising altitude. Uh, <laughs> you know, we were, we were coming in for our approach when we meant to stay at like 30,000 feet. Yeah. That was, um, that was our, our mistake. <laughs> yeah. But I mean, as far as that, like Andrew, your final thoughts on sour beers and your favorites from the evening. I mean, I think we both had the same favorite and I'm going to say yeah. it was the three Omegong. Oh, absolutely. Um, yeah. Hell sour. Um, out of the forgotten road ales, which one was your favorite? Um, passion fruit, dragon fruit, then MAT, then cherry. No, we're Honestly, we God, I cannot. I love wings. <laughs> I mean, I love hot wings, but I just finished that one and it was all hot wings all the time. It was like Buffalo sauce. And I just didn't like the cherry that much. I'll be honest. I was not a, cherry, a, it was very cherry pie, which is fine, but that's not what I want yeah. right now. I mean, it could, could be just like me right now. The MAT was very much an apricot spritz, which is fine. It's a great, um, I'll probably see if Laura wants to try that. She normally doesn't like sours, but so that really leaves me with passion fruit. Dragon fruit is my favorite. And I did like that. Yeah. I mean, I liked it, but Honestly, I think for me, it was after brewing on Magong, it was MAT, cherry, and then the passion fruit, dragon fruit. The passion fruit, dragon fruit for me, just like that acidity and spiciness of a buffalo wing was just like a flavor that like threw me completely off and I couldn't get over. Um, 
but yeah, I mean, sour beers, love them or hate them. I mean, it's not a style for beginners. If you are looking to get into craft beer, this is not the stuff you want to start with. You say that, if but that's looking, actually how my friend got into them. She would only drink sweet white wines. She got hold of some like flavored gozes. And that's how she, that's been her gateway is flavored gozes. <laughs> well, see, that's the thing too, is like for. You don't want to start with something that says it's sour in America. Cause if the beer says yeah. it's sour in America, it's probably a freaking pucker bomb. Yeah. And honestly for Courtney, she hates IPAs. She loves blonde ales, lagers, you know, like wheat ales, but she loves sours. She loves tart stuff so like gozos berliner vices that kind of stuff is actually her bag which is odd in a sense um, it's funny because laura hates those she is ipa like that's why she and i did the history of ipa because i knew that like that's one episode where she's just going to drink everything that I have. yeah but, she's like can you um, keep an ipa on draft all the time <laughs> but you know like honestly for the majority of people if you're into craft beer and you're looking to expand your horizons start with gozas berliner vices that kind of stuff and then work try something from flanders yeah and maybe maybe have fruited wild ales Mm -hmm. maybe have like start with the more fruited beers and then work your way up to the more complex stuff like a flanders red or an oudvroon or you know this pale sour that we had. If um, you are nervous about something that says it's sour, I would recommend trying uh, the Lawfully Oscar or Felix from New Belgium. Mm-hmm. Anything from Belgium properly. So like Travis was saying, Rodenbach is one of the biggest breweries. Old Petrus. Those are Belgian. Like, yeah, true, Old Petrus. Yeah, those are true Belgian style beers. They are not sour like you're not puckery. You're not going to hate yourself. You're not going to regret drinking them. They have a little bit of sweetness to them. They all are very good. Those are all fairly easy to get hold of too, from like your local total wine or bottle shop. Um, but it, that's one thing if you want to try like an old school sour, but I think what Travis and I are both trying to warn folks of is if you have an American beer that says it's a sour, it's prop. If it doesn't say it goes or Berlin or vice, it's probably going to be, sour like a warhead sour like just drinking straight uh, eating straight citric acid like uh, acetic acid like it's it's going to be very very tart and make you salivate it's not going to be good Uh, it can be but it may not be and if you see i think a lot of people maybe put off because a lot of sours are more expensive Mm-hmm. Like a lot of sours, like if you look at Wicked Weed and Brewery Taru, oh, Wicked Weed's a good of, example of a good a good sour brewery. Yeah, they but like Wicked Weed, if you are not in Nashville and don't go to the Funkatorium, if you buy their sours, they're in seven hundred fifty milliliter bottles. Like that's a lot to invest in. You mm-hmm. know, like one beer. Yeah, sixteen twenty bucks on a seven hundred fifty milliliter bottle something that you may or may not like so like andrew said like if you're looking to get into more water beers the belgian stuff is a little more tamed but it's a little more complex so Mm -hmm. you have to appreciate that you know you look at the things that we talked about like sierra nevada otra vase um anything from anderson valley they have the blood orange goes uh the you know they have god everything goes they have framboise goes they have 
all these different gin and goes tonic goes away. Gin and tonic goes away is actually pretty. Um, <laughs> it is. <laughs> I've had a lot of their stuff, but like they're a brewery that does it pretty well, and mm-hmm. they do good gozas. Like that's one of their niches. Um, try that kind of stuff. Try if you're in the southeast and you can get your hands on Westbrook. Um, mm-hmm. Their goza, their key lime pie goza. That kind of stuff is more of a better introduction into the sour lifestyle than. And if you're going to drink lambic, you're going to drink goose, drink Belgian. I like, unless you can get hold of like the good stuff from Allagash or Russian River, which is very hard to get. get Allagash is very good. If you. If you go to your local bottle shops, then you see like ours does a good job of keeping Three Fontaine. Mm-hmm. Um, if you ever see Cantillon, grab it. But you know, just sours are not for everybody. But I honestly think everybody can get into sours yeah. at some point. Like there's a style of sour that will probably appeal to most people. Oud Brune would appeal to a lot of people where like a Flanders red might not if you don't like cherry like. Yeah, you get a lot of cherry red and Flanders red. And this pale sour reminds me a lot of the Flanders blonde I had from Freem, which is also excellent. If you're in Oregon, get just some Freem. That stuff is ballin'. Yeah. um, Hopefully they're still around after this pandemic. (laughs) Freem will be. They're big enough and they were doing distro at least. All right. Well, I think we've talked long enough about sours. We don't want to... um, overstay or welcome like some sour beers do in the palate so travis uh i guess let's go out on what what we got where can we find us yeah so uh if you want to hit us up you can find us on instagram at brew news pod you can find us on twitter brew underscore news um you can hit us up on gmail at brew news pod at gmail.com uh, we are always looking and open to suggestions for different breweries, different, if you want to see a different style episode, if you want to see a specific topic, you know, in the past we've done Stinko de Mayo episodes, we've done Mexican bloggers, we're doing sours. Now, if you want to see something specific, just reach out and let us know and we'll try and cover it the best we can. But we thank you guys as always for listening. Um, you can find Andrew on untapped at tuba Steve, even though he doesn't check in anything anymore. You can find me at untapped at Mather nuts. And uh, we thank you guys, as always, for listening and tuning in. Uh, We appreciate all the support, and we will see you guys, maybe not next week, but when we see you. We'll see you soon. Cheers. Cheers. Cheers.